You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Raise your hand if your favorite part of church is the five-minute break in between worship and preaching. <laughs> well, not really, but I do enjoy it. I like that. I like that it's difficult to get people away from talking to each other. That just shows you all love each other. So, and that's a good that's a good thing to do. Uh, you know, people don't get enough fellowship in their life. We need more of that. You know, so y'all need each other. That's the truth. We need each other. Uh, listen, if you're not doing well today, welcome to Queen City Church. You are in the right place. We believe that the Lord has something for you today that's really important. And um, we believe at Queen City Church that you don't have to be hyper-spiritual or ultra-righteous in order to go on with God. You can... Right wherever you're at, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, God has something really good for you. And we believe that um, he's really good at getting the things that you need to you. Amen. So why don't we open just with a word of prayer and ask God to help us this morning to receive what he has. Heavenly Father, you're so good, and we're so thankful to be in your house today with your people in this place and time. We don't think it's an accident. We think it's on purpose. We think that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, is working in the earth today, working among your people and through your people. And Lord, this is our confession that we're depending on you to help us. And we know that you'll do it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Today's message is the joyful life of prayer part two. Um, I preached the first part last week. If you didn't hear it, if you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It's on our podcast. But we're diving into uh, the life of prayer, the joyful life of prayer. I called my message the joyful life of prayer because I needed I needed some different language around the word prayer. Because if you're like me, um, prayer has some connotations that could be construed as negative. Maybe, maybe it's boring. Maybe it's religious. Maybe you don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to do it. And so as I began studying it, I began to see that the life of prayer is not boring. It's not bad. It's good and it's joyful. It's a good and it's a joyful practice. So we're going to dive into part two of that today. And I want to start in the Gospel of Matthew. You don't have to open your Bible or your iPhone just yet. But I just want to point your attention to this one phrase in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been fasting in the wilderness. He, he had been baptized in the Jordan. And then it says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tried by the devil. So you know the Holy Spirit will take you some places that you don't necessarily want to go. He might take you into a time of fasting or a time of trying. But we see that in the text. And Jesus is out in the wilderness starving. And he's in a really weak spot. And the devil comes to him and says, Listen, 
If you're the son of God, you should turn these stones into bread and eat. And Jesus says a phrase that to me establishes an incredibly important reality for the rest of human history. All right. He says this one thing that to me is the pinnacle moments of the history of spoken word. He says this, people don't live by bread alone, but they live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, if you're like me, you've read it a million times and you bypass right over it. But this is a reality that Jesus is bringing to our attention that is very, very important. We live from the words that proceed from God's mouth. Amen? Okay, God has spoken and God is speaking and his words, his words are how you and I live. I know it sounds like I'm stating the obvious, but this is the case. God's words lead us to the good life. So we're exploring the joyful life of prayer because we want God to speak to us and we want to be listening to what he says because we have life by God's words. All right? So the joyful life of prayer is joyful because prayer is a way of entering into the good life of God. The joyful life of prayer is joyful because prayer is a way of being with God and a way of God being with us. All right? The joyful life of prayer is joyful because prayer is not a chore. It is not a punishment. It is not a religious requirement that we need to fulfill in order to get to God. The joyful life of prayer is joyful because it is communion with God. You don't pray so that you can go get to God. You pray because you enjoy being with him. All right. What did we say last week? Prayer is deliberate. Does anybody remember the word? Deliberate togetherness with God. What is prayer? Prayer is deliberate togetherness with God, right? So, so here's the thing about that. There are different ways of being with God. So, so I actually believe this. I actually, when I'm walking through my life, whether I'm, I'm fishing on the river or I'm working in my office, I am with God. I actually believe that the presence of God travels with me. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. There's no place that I can go that his presence doesn't follow me. The psalmist says, I can make my bed in hell and there you are. That's good news. That's good news for us. But there are different ways and awarenesses of being with God. So you have Christ's presence with you always. But prayer is deliberate togetherness with God. And what that means is you're spending time, you're spending energy, and you're spending attention on God himself. Okay, so when you're walking through your life and you're doing your life, he's more paying attention to you. But when you're practicing deliberate togetherness with God, you're giving your time and your energy and attention to God, 
right? So prayer's the way that God prescribed for us to be with him. Prayer is the togetherness with God that allows the Holy Spirit to work on the project of building God's kingdom inside of you and me. All right? God is working on a project. He's trying to get, well, there's different ways to talk about this. Language has some limits. God's not really trying to get the kingdom of God into the world. The kingdom of God is in the world. But I'm not always aware of that. So one of the ways that God makes his kingdom realized in the earth is that he does a work in me and that work takes place in the act and through the act of me deliberately being with God. Okay? It's really important that you know this. Like maybe sometimes you're, you're wondering at your lack of, I don't know, um, God stuff happening in your life. It could be that you're not giving enough time, energy, and attention to togetherness with God. See, he's always working, but I'm not always aware of it. Prayer brings me into a greater awareness of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Here's another way of saying this or thinking about this. Prayer is where we are changed. Prayer is where we are changed. Have you ever read the words, have you been reading the Bible and you've read the words of Jesus and you've thought, had this thought, well, that's impossible. Yeah, I'm not talking about Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm talking about when he says, love your enemies. Have you ever read those words and just thought, no, there's, I'm not doing that. That's a setup. Oh, this is where Jesus is preaching and proving that I need a savior. See, a lot of people, they, they look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and they think that it's the law of Moses on steroids. Because Jesus says, you've heard it say that if you commit adultery, you've broken the law. But what I say to you is, if you even look at another woman with lust in your heart, you've broken the law. I used to read that and go, well, I guess I'm out. I guess my only saving grace is that Jesus loves me, died on the cross for me, shed his blood for me. And now I'm just a dirty old sinner on my way to heaven someday. God is just enduring me. I used to read the scripture that way. I think a lot of us do. I used to read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and I would think, well, I can't do any of this. I can't keep myself from being angry. I can't keep myself from lusting. I can't keep myself from taking revenge. I can't love my enemies. I can't pray for those who persecute me. I can't keep my heart from loving and trusting in money. I can't keep myself from judging others. Anybody, anybody ever read Jesus's words and come up, come to that conclusion? So I used to read Jesus's words and I thought that Jesus only said these things to prove that I was simply a dirty, rotten sinner and that his sufficient grace was good enough to get me into heaven when I die. I used to read the teachings of Jesus and interpret them as things which were too difficult for me to be able to do. And in a sense, it is impossible to obey the teachings of Jesus. But with man, 
These things are impossible, but what? With God, yes, nothing is impossible. The commands, here, here, I want you to get this. The commands that Jesus taught, he actually meant for us to live. The teachings that Jesus taught were not just a stumbling block for us to stumble over so that we could live in constant frustration with ourselves. He actually said those things to us so that we could realize what it meant to be truly human. It's actually an invitation into the good life. These teachings of Jesus are invitational. They're him calling us into the good life. Into his kingdom life. You are not a dirty old sinner on your way to heaven. You are a child of God. You are the righteousness of Christ. And God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is the reality that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and our Heavenly Father has called us into. What Jesus taught, what the, the things that Jesus taught were the words proceeding from the mouth of God, going back to Matthew 4, and they are life to us. Jesus' teachings are life to you. Jesus' teachings are actually life to me. They give us life. So prayer becomes the way, prayer becomes the way that the joyful kingdom of God is formed in us. Through the joyful life of prayer, we become wise and we become able to live the the words that Jesus taught. Prayer is the place where the Holy Spirit does his heaven on earth work. Prayer is the place where Jesus does his heaven on earth work. Did you know that when God is doing his will on earth, that where he does that work is in you? When God is doing his will on earth, the place that he does that work is in you. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he wasn't giving them a dry, boring, religious text to quote. He was showing them that how the kingdom of God and the will of God are realized is in human beings. Why don't we read that text together? If you've got your Bible open it up. I think we've got the the text for you guys on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, but if you have your iPhone or if you got your Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew six, starting at verse seven, I believe. Jesus says this, when you pray, and I'm, I'm reading from the new living, by the way, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So he was showing us in this scripture, in this text, that the kingdom of God and the will of God are realized in people. The kingdom of God in prayer goes from an abstract theory to real, actual blessing when you and I are formed in the joyful life of prayer. All right? The kingdom goes from an abstract theory to a real, concrete blessing in our life through the act of prayer, through the deliberate togetherness of God, with God. So Jesus knew what he was doing when he taught us to pray, all right? He said this, when you pray, pray like this. So let's just go through this for a second. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. All right? So I was reading this book this week. I've actually been reading it for a couple of weeks now. It's, it's written in the 1960s, and it's, it's called The Art of Living. I was sharing this with our volunteer group this morning at our volunteer meeting. And it really blessed me. But what the authors were making a case for is that they were saying this. The bed of all relationship, the bedrock of all relationships starts with reverence. It starts with reverence. And what they meant was when you see another person and you think, First of all, you think they're irritating, messed up. Um, they have they have reasons for you to have a bad attitude towards them or to mock them, to lampoon them, to treat somebody, uh, you know, y- you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like people aren't easy to love, right? We come in contact with a lot of people that are just kind of annoying. And and these writers were saying that when you revere somebody, you see them the way heaven sees them. When you stop treating them like their bad attitude or their annoyingness is uh, is saying that you should treat them, and you just revere their humanity, they're created in the image of godness, and you begin to treat them that way, everything changes. There becomes a, a clear conduit for relationship. And, and these folks that I was reading, they were talking on a human level, but I realized that a lot of times I don't come to God in reverence. I don't come to God with a clear conduit of reverence. Sometimes I come with a bad attitude. Sometimes I'm mad at him. Sometimes I've got things against him, resentments or whatever. And it, and it kind of shuts down my prayer life. So this, this coming to God with this, this idea of our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's just, that's not some boring statement. That's an invitation for us to know how to approach God. It actually 
allows us to be in his presence in a proper way. It actually allows us to receive from him so that we can get the good things that he's trying to give us. You know, if you have a bad, if you're married and you have a bad attitude towards your spouse, how quickly does that shut down the conversation? How quickly does that um, kind of stunt growth in your friendship or in your intimacy? Bad attitudes keep us from seeing the other person the way that God sees them. So we want to apply reverence when we come into that moment of prayer. So revere your heavenly father because reverence for another is the bedrock of all meaningful relationship. Reverence is a clean and joyful river. We live in a world that mocks and scorns. We do it to people and we don't realize how much it actually affects our view of our heavenly father. We must let the Holy Spirit teach us to show us reverence for others. Reverence is the beginning of seeing. Maybe you see someone and you think they're annoying, they're messed up. I don't like the way they look or the way they act or the way they talk. This is the opposite of reverence. This attitude closes the door of relationship. When you don't see someone as being a being who is created in the image of God, you shut the door on relationship. Honor the Lord and revere him by living your life, being humble and honoring other people. Honor the Lord and keep his name holy. This is a deliberate way of entering into the presence of God. All right, I'm going to go to that next phrase. May your kingdom come soon. So prayer is deliberate togetherness with God and it is the proclamation to the goodness that comes when God's rule and reign comes to a person and city. When we say, may your kingdom come soon, we are emphasizing the sooner rather than the later. There's an urgency to prayer when we're emphasizing God's kingdom now rather than later. You know, sometimes I I don't feel like I'm seeing enough of God's activity in my life or in the life of my church or in the life of my city. Maybe it's because I haven't been emphasizing the sooner of God's kingdom coming. Maybe I've been putting his kingdom coming out in the distance. And I've just been relegating my prayer life to someday. And through this phrase, we see that God wants us to pray that his kingdom comes now. There is an urgency and a joyful hopeless, not hopelessness, a joyful hopefulness that imagines God's reality expressing itself in real ways through our lives right now. We don't have to wait for this, y'all. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when I was studying through this this week, I, I saw this thing that I've never seen before. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this part of this prayer, you, me, we, we are the earth. We are the earth part of this prayer. 
Where does God release his kingdom? In you and me. When we pray this prayer, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're praying that prayer, we're the earth where that reality gets to explode. People are where God's will takes place. You know, you know, you can, you can, um, take that God's will phrase and just plug in his love. God's will is love. You want to know what God's will is? It's his love. It's his love manifesting in concrete ways. It's his blessing coming in actual ways in people's lives. All right. It's not a theory. It's a real thing. You know, when you give somebody 20 bucks, that's a real blessing. If somebody doesn't have 20 bucks and you as a follower of Christ follow the Holy Spirit one day and you put 20 actual dollars in somebody's hand, that is the kingdom of God going from a nice abstract theory into a real actual concrete blessing. That's what is being worked out in you and I. So in Genesis, we see that God formed Adam out of the dust of the what? The earth. God breathed into the man. He breathed into the earth that would be the man. The will of heaven found its way to earth through the breath of God. Man always comes to life by the breath of God, the will of God, the love of God. You know what God's plan for your life is? Love. God, what's your plan for my life? It's love. You want to know what God's doing in your life? He's trying to get you to grow in love. He's trying to expand the loveless parts of the inside of you out into love. He's trying to take you out of lovelessness and expand you into love. That's where he's taking his church, y'all. So I love this next one. Give us today the food that we need. Man, it doesn't get less abstract than that. That is the most concrete part of this prayer. That is the most easy to understand part of this prayer. Lord, give me the food today that I need. But it's actually one of the most freeing moments in all of the Lord's prayer. Give us today the food that we need. Here's the deal, y'all. Basic needs matter. But this prayer, this part of this prayer forms us into people who do not rely on money so that we can stop relying on God. We don't, we, we're not relying on money, y'all. We're not relying on money. We're not relying on our jobs. I mean, don't quit your job. Your job is a gift to you. Your job is God getting the stuff that you need to you. But you are not a slave to your job. You are not a slave to this economy. You are living by God's economy. If you want to get free from the fear of being poor, pray this prayer in your life all the time. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our food, Lord. That will free you from the gods of this world that are trying to tell you that you need to be worried about the economy right now. It'll free you from the gods that are telling you that in order for you to be happy, you have to go to the mall and put $1,500 on your credit card. Things do not make people happy. Well, a new Chevy Silverado would be pretty great. I'm not going to lie. 
But the thing is, you can get to a place in your life where you can have nice things and those things don't control you. You're not afraid of losing those things. This is a prayer that leads us to be totally free from the lust of money and the cares of this world. Hey, let's, let's put our hands up for just a second. How many of y'all have struggled with the cares of this world this week alone? Yeah. This prayer is one we need in our lives, y'all. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's a little phrase. And in Matthew 4, when Jesus is saying to the devil, man does not live on bread alone, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy 8, they're looking back on how the Lord has taken the people of God out of Egypt into the promised land. And he says this thing, he's like, listen, God gave you manna. God gave you daily bread every day so that you would know that you should not be trusting in your money to be your God. You should not trust in the things of this world to be your God. This is actually good news. God is freeing us through these prayers. Okay, on to the next one. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I want you to think about this for a second. Do you know that God imagines an entire world full of people who are totally forgiven? That's actually the desire and the dream of God's heart is that everybody on planet earth would realize their forgiveness. Do you know that the kingdom of God is actually a kingdom built on the bedrock of forgiveness? Do you know that Jesus walked around the earth forgiving people before he ever died on the cross? He got majorly busted by the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers because he was walking around saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. And they would say, how dare you? Who are you to forgive somebody? And Jesus taught his disciples to forgive people. Forgive people. It's in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us, Lord, our sins. You know why he put that in there? Because he's trying to tell you it's God's desire to forgive you. It's God's desire to forgive the person that you don't like. It's God's heart to forgive the people who disagree with you. This is God's dream. God wants you and I to be vessels, to be carriers of forgiveness. Man, y'all, if the church is going to be marked by anything, if we're going to be known by uh, for being any way, we should be carriers of radical forgiveness. I, I, I'm telling you, y'all, I, I am a little afraid. I'm a little afraid of this cancel culture that we got going on in our culture right now. And, and people make mistakes and they get written off. People make mistakes in their lives and culture writes them off. It kicks up the mob. The angry mob kicks people out of the culture. I, I heard a podcast this week, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history podcast. He told a story about a, 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 a Jewish couple in the 1950s that joined the communist league and, uh, they were, they were writers in, in Hollywood and they, they had some political persuasions that led them to join the Young Communist League. And, and honestly, these people, their heart was just for like 
the poor and oppressed to be lifted up. You know, I, I'm not telling you this as a, I'm not saying communism is good. I'm telling you these people had an idea, put some action behind the idea, and then eventually they got dragged be, before the Senate blacklisting committee. And, and not only were they uh, blacklisted by our government, but they said that their entire community of friends turned their back on them. And for about a decade and a half, they were completely isolated away from their friend group. And I just thought to myself, Lord, forgive me if I have ever excluded somebody from a bad for a bad decision that they have made in their life. You know, y'all, and I've already said this, I know, but Jesus got blasted by the church because he included people that the church wanted to exclude. He did. He got, well, ultimately crucified because he was drawing a wider circle around the world than the religious elite were drawing. And if we're going to be vessels, carriers of radical forgiveness, we're going to actually have to take the chance of losing part of our reputation among our friend group to befriend people that our friend group doesn't like. Yeah, go ahead and clap. That's a good one. I, I, I'm serious, y'all. This is the formation that this prayer that God is trying to form in us. Radical carriers of forgiveness. So this is an important aspect of the joyful life of prayer. There will be times when it is very difficult for you to forgive someone. That's true, right? People do bad things and some things are harder to get over than other things, right? So we have to acknowledge the great difficulty. I mean, somebody who steals a pack of gum, it's easier to forgive that person um, more than it is for somebody to kill or somebody who drunk drives and kills somebody in an accident. Those, there's, there's degrees, but the Holy Spirit wants us to lead us into the greatest degrees of forgiveness that we can possibly go into. You will need the Holy Spirit to work on your heart, to soften you and to heal you. That's why you need to pray this prayer. Father, forgive me as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Prayer, the joyful life of prayer is essential for our own healing and for the healing of the world. Forgiveness is the will of heaven. Forgiveness is the will of heaven. When we practice an ongoing unforgiveness on the earth, we are in a sense doing this. We're profaning the holy name of God. We're hindering God's kingdom from coming into others. Yeah, that's all. That's the only list I have on that one. (laughs) And finally, he closes with this. And don't yield us to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. All right. So this last part of this prayer, this is a prayer of preservation. And we need to pray it. Sometimes I don't know what else to pray, but Lord, help me. Okay. 
Y'all should do that. You should do that on a continual basis. Lord, help me, keep me, have mercy on me. I don't know what to do, Lord. Those little bursting prayers. <laughs> we got to have those, yo. Like we need those. Like we need all of this kind of like deep work stuff, but then we need these preservation prayers. Ask God for help and he will help you. Don't live your life like there is no enemy out there trying to devour you. Ask God for help so that you won't be hindered in your joyful life with God. All right. So I want to close with a paradox. All right. This is my, this is actually my final and closing point. I'm going to end with a paradox. There's two passages in Matthew 6. We've already read this in Matthew 6. And then there's a passage in Matthew 7 that I want to, these two things seem to be in conflict, but they're not. So, uh, when you pray, this is from Matthew 6, when you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you need it. Okay? Let, let me read the, the other passage that seems to contradict this. So Jesus says that first thing, don't babble on and on in, in Matthew 6. And then he says this in Matthew 7. Keep on asking. And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on knocking. And the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And here's the thing. The don't babble section this is what this is. This is words with no meaning. This is words with no meaning. It's, it's prayer without imagination. It's prayer without imagination. And I want to encourage y'all. One of the greatest things uh, that I have added to my life of prayer, my, my joyful life of prayer, deliberate togetherness with God, is that I have a journal and I write my prayers sometimes. I don't do it always, but sometimes I write my prayers because I think a lot of us lose the battle in our minds. We, we have difficulty practicing silence or we have difficulty practicing quietness and the phone is often a temptation or the laptop or whatever. But sometimes it just works to begin to fashion your words deliberately on a piece of paper. It's not the only way of praying, but it is a way of praying. And it's a good habit to start if you struggle with prayer. I know I've struggled with prayer. And so I've had to come up with some different things to do in order to, you know, actively engage with the Lord. Um, but then here's the other thing that I want to say. The keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. The, the joyful life of prayer is lifelong. This is a lifelong project, y'all. Um, prayer is a lifelong project. I'm not giving you principles right here just to apply to your life over the next two weeks. And, uh, you know, you get the Mercedes that you've been praying for, or you get the healing that you're asking for. I mean, I love what Robin said when, during the offering, how he was saying that 
we would really like it if prayer worked in a formulaic way, right? We would love it as if every time we gave $100 in the tithe, we would get $1,000 in return. Like if that happened every single time, who wouldn't give, right? But there's an element of mystery to the human life that we really have to make room for in our lives, And I know that a lot of us have been talked out of a life of prayer because we've made this judgment, prayer doesn't work. We've made this judgment that prayer is boring, it's lifeless, and it doesn't work. Well, actually what I think is, is that we've misunderstood the life of prayer, that the joyful life of prayer is a lifelong project And it's something that we need to give the rest of our lives to. Because why? Because God is going to build his kingdom and he's going to start where? In us. In us. So some things take longer than others. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on the Holy Spirit. Don't give up on your life of prayer. Quiet your soul and spend time with God. And this is the way I love to think about this. Waste your time on God. Waste your time on God. Like I got my little phone report this morning about how many hours a day I'd spent on my phone this week. How depressing is that report? (laughs) Do y'all get that report on Sunday mornings? Why does it come on Sundays? We need to make that a Monday thing. But it was like, before I came to my office this morning, I got that report and I realized that it's not that I don't have time to give to the Lord. It's that I have gotten my priorities all wrong. And I don't want to make a case against anti-technology or whatever. You know all the drill. But if we can reemphasize prayer in our life, I really do believe it will transform our lives to an incredible degree, in an incredible way. I don't know. I just, some, I feel like the Lord has just forced my life. He has forced me to go after him. Like the Lord uh, saw fit to not make me rich, not make me beautiful, and not to answer every prayer that I have prayed in my life so that I would pursue him. You know, you think some of the problems that you're having in your life are just like problems that are just have arisen, but that's actually the Holy Spirit drawing you. And I, I read, I read so many epistles this week. I read, I read first and second Peter. I read James. I read a couple of Paul's things. And it's crazy how many of those guys start out with, man, things are really bad. And it's all occasion for incredible joy. <laughs> like they all start that way. It's incredible. When you look at the biblical testimony of what these guys were saying, it's like trouble's going to come and joy is here to stay. Trouble's on the way, but joy is here to stay. The shattering moments that you've experienced, those things that have come into your life where you had no answers for, all you had was questions, those are entryways into the good life with Jesus. None of those things count you out. They count you all the way in. So waste your time on God and just watch how the will of heaven begins exploding in your own life. 
Y'all, it is 12.03. How awesome am I? (laughs) Woo! Getting those sermon notes down, man. I was at six and a half pages today. Woo! Down from seven. I'm going the right direction, y'all. Hey, let's stand together. Stand up together. Mm. Y'all, listen. Queen City Church, we do not have ambitions to be the greatest church in the history of the world, but we do have ambitions to be a pretty great church. We do. We are not ambitionless. We believe that God has called us for something. We believe that God has called you for something. We believe that what God wants to build with this church and with your life individually is special. It's special. And I don't know if you were catching all this stuff in worship. I mean, I had one of those moments in worship this morning where I just, I had to, I had to just tell myself, stay in your seat, Andy, stay in your seat, stay in your seat. Cause you know, as soon as the Holy Spirit starts moving, man, all of that prophetic stuff starts swirling around and God starts talking and it's like the best thing ever. But I obeyed and I stayed in my seat, you know, but I have the microphone now. <laughs> I knew it was coming. But I do want to tell you all this, that when the Lord begins to move, when that tide begins to rise, all of the boats rise with it. And and, and it's interesting because I've seen this in the past and I've seen preachers say this, that when God starts moving, it's the best thing ever and everybody's problems go away. I will never say that. But I will say this, when God is moving, your problems become way less influential in your life. They become way less influential. And I do have this sense, and we have to be honest. We do want to be honest. We have been in dry seasons before. But I don't think that that is our present or our future. I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling us to a life of prayer. He's calling us to an active life in his Holy Spirit. And he believes in the church. He's never stopped believing in the church. I mean, the capital C church. The church is taking all kinds of hits right now. There's tons of criticism and and most of it is warranted. But that does not mean God's belief in the church has diminished. And so I want to ask you all this. I want to ask you all for something this morning. As we continue at Queen City, I just want to tell you, we love it when you're here. We love it when you're here and you're with us and you're worshiping God with us. And, and uh, it's just so good when we're all together, isn't it? So I just want to say thank you for sticking with us in this time. Why don't, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Man, Jesus, Lord Jesus, we are your kids, God. We are your kids. We are your people. We are your righteousness. I got a scripture for that. We are the righteousness of Christ this morning. And Lord, we, we believe this. 
that you are leading us into the joyful life of prayer on a daily and weekly and monthly and yearly basis. And it's a lifelong activity. And we believe that you're building your concrete blessing into our lives and that that blessing is going to flow out of our lives, into our communities, into our cities. And you are radically changing our city. And Lord, we ask that you would begin this work in us today. Draw us into your life of prayer. Draw us into deliberate togetherness with you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 